Responding to tensions across the strait, Washington will provide a set of Jump-20 tactical drones to Taiwan for free. The Jump-20 is vertical takeoff and landing aircraft that can be used for battlefield reconnaissance. Experts say this weapon's aid is aimed at countering China's gray zone tactics. In related news, the U.S. Congress has passed a 2024 defense budget that includes multiple pro-Taiwan policies. They include speeding up arms sales, expanding military training, and establishing a U.S.-Taiwan joint planning team. Congressman Mike Gallagher emphasized that hard power must be used to stop Xi Jinping's military ambitions before it's too late. Led by the U.S. 7th Fleet, the Pacific Vanguard military exercise will begin on July 1st. Naval forces from Japan, South Korea and Australia will participate in the 12-day exercise based in Guam. Besides strengthening its training with allied forces, the U.S. has extended military aid to Taiwan. It's set to give Taiwan's Coast Guard a set of Jump-20 drones with vertical takeoff and landing capabilities. The Jump-20 drone has an operational range of roughly 185 kilometers. It can perform continuous monitoring for more than 14 hours and has a top flight speed of 92 kilometers an hour. Taiwan will become the third country to own the Jump-20 after the U.S. and Ukraine. This is a testament to the political trust and security partnership between Taiwan and the U.S. The Jump-20's principal purpose is battlefield reconnaissance. Through its visible light and infrared systems, it can effectively monitor battlefield environments day and night. Coast Guard missions are both military and police-like in nature. Besides adding a drone unit, Taiwan can also consider adding fixed-wing aircraft and an exclusive helicopter unit for the Coast Guard, which can be used to counter the CCP's gray zone threat. U.S. support for Taiwan also came recently from Congress. The House and Senate have passed the 2024 National Defense Authorization Act, which calls for expediting arms sales to Taiwan, expanding military training, and establishing a U.S.-Taiwan joint planning team. Mike Gallagher, chairman of the Select Committee on China, said that the danger of a Taiwan Strait conflict was at its peak. To contain Xi Jinping and the devastating consequences of war, the U.S. must work across party lines to counter China. Hard power must be used to stop Xi before it's too late, and the 2024 defense bill is a crucial step in that direction, he said. We're happy to see this kind of development as China's militarization becomes increasingly rampant. We need more cooperation with allies, including the U.S. Only then can we let the CCP know not to overstep in the Taiwan Strait. With the threat to Taiwan growing across the strait, the U.S. is taking an even stronger stand against Beijing. And now for an update on former President Ma Ying-jeou's summer program for Chinese students. Ma's foundation plans to invite Chinese students to visit Taiwan schools this July. It accuses the Education Ministry of blocking the plan with red tape by asking the schools to produce a security plan before a deadline. Taiwan's Education Minister flatly denies the accusation. Let's hear from him. The timeline proposed by the Ma Ying-jeou Foundation was extremely rushed. The universities involved didn't fully understand the details. Our hope is that they can provide feedback regarding this issue. And after that, we at the Ministry of Education and other government units will proceed with our consultations. We look favorably upon any kind of exchange. 
We are asking the inviting party to emphasize, through their event planning, that this program is about understanding freedom and democracy, about getting to know Taiwan. We ask them to reduce its role as a tool for China's United Front campaign. Premier Chen Jianren said that healthy and orderly exchanges between China and Taiwan were necessary in the post-pandemic era. But he urged the Ma Ying-jeou Foundation to make adjustments to avoid becoming a tool for Beijing. Taiwan plans to expand its baggage screening exemption program for travelers from the U.S. This July, officials will head to the U.S. to discuss adding carry-on luggage to the exemption list. The initiative aims to save transiting passengers up to one hour of wait time at Taoyuan International Airport. With COVID restrictions eased, passenger volume is recovering fast at Taoyuan International Airport. The Transport Ministry plans to expand its four-year-old one-stop security program by exempting carry-on luggage from security checks. At present, most of the passengers we see are traveling from North America to Taiwan's Taoyuan International Airport, then transiting to flights bound for Southeast Asia or the Northeast Asia. In the past, they had to go through another security check upon arriving in Taiwan. After the program is expanded, if they complete a security check in the U.S., they will not need to undergo a second check when transiting in Taiwan. This one-stop security program applies only to travelers flying in from the U.S., Canada and New Zealand. Currently, such travelers who transit in Taoyuan don't need to take their checked baggage through additional security screening. Four years after the program's inception, the plan is to add carry-on luggage and passengers themselves to the exemption list. This could save transiting passengers up to one hour of wait time. This can help increase the willingness of international passengers to transit in Taipei. With visa-free entry offered for 24-hour transits, passengers can have short excursions in Taiwan. Under the expanded program, an estimated 750,000 transit passengers from the U.S. are expected to benefit each year. Because United Airlines is currently the only U.S. carrier offering daily flights to Taiwan, the expanded program will give a boost to Taiwan Airlines with U.S. routes, such as China Airlines, EVA Air and Starlux Airlines. For travelers going through the U.S. security check, the details of the procedures may be different. Of course, these airport security checks will need to be strictly enforced. During the transit process, the risk that we run is that after the traveler departs the U.S., he or she may obtain things that are harmful to flight safety. Taiwan officials will head to the U.S. in late July to discuss the program expansion with the Transportation Security Administration. They've also reached out to Canada in hopes of expanding the program for Canadian flights as soon as possible. From January to April this year, more than 1.6 million tourists visited Taiwan. Official estimates suggest that 6 million might visit over the whole of 2023. But the face of tourism is changing, and businesses are offering more and more diverse services for travelers. Post-pandemic travelers are more concerned with making genuine contact with the unique soul of Taiwan. From making their own Taiwanese food to a cycling tour of the island, activities that engage with local culture are booming. Korean cheerleader Lee Dahye and American basketball star Dwight Howard are both susceptible to the charms of Taiwan's night markets. Korean actor Kim Son Ho also paid a visit to a famous Xiaolongbao restaurant. Taiwan's cuisine is a big highlight of almost every traveler's visit.
But many tourists are done with just enjoying the food. They want to try making it too. Overseas tourists don aprons and receive instructions before getting down to making boba balls for tea. Next up, they grab spatulas and fry up some pickles for a guabao bun. I've had bao before, but they're like the more round kinds. I've never had this kind before. So this is the first time you've made it by yourself? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's very good. When foreigners come to Taiwan, there's a class where they can try making Taiwanese food for themselves. Our teachers share lots of Taiwanese stories and history with them so they can understand the richness of Taiwan's culinary culture. Everyone says their favourite parts are making beef noodles, xiaolong bao, gua bao and braised pork rice. Attendees can get to know Taiwanese food deeply with their own hands. And there are more alternative activities popping up for those tired of just snapping cliched photos and dining out. Korean streamer Ginny made a walking tour of the country. Travel agents are also offering cycling tours of the island. Travelers can make a slow exploration of Taiwan's country and culture on two wheels. Most foreigners who come to cycle in Taiwan go to Hualien and Taidong or Wuling. We also arrange deep cultural experiences in Taipei, which includes getting to know architecture and cuisine. Travel is no longer about sitting on a tour bus and getting shuttled to tourist spots. Travel experts are coming up with more and more novel ways to entertain visitors. Taizong's bike share program, iBike, will soon become a thing of the past. On Wednesday, the city will retire its 6,115 iBikes and start using U-Bike 2.0 exclusively. The switch makes way for a monthly commuter pass that will launch on July 1st, granting access to public transportation, including U-Bikes. But the iBike has its fans who say that U-Bike just isn't the same. One user says it only takes 10 seconds to rent an iBike, whereas renting a U-Bike takes up to three times as long. Taizong's transport department pledges to upgrade the U-Bike so that it incorporates the iBike's best-loved features. Taiwan stocks tumbled on Monday, tracking a broad retreat on Wall Street last week. The tax fell 143 points, or 0.83 percent, to close at 17,059, dipping below the 5-day and 10-day moving averages. Turnover stood at 297.7 billion NT, with institutional investors selling a net 21.5 billion NT. Selling pressure focused on weighted stocks and AI concept stocks, which are coming down from a surge of trader interest. A ban on PVC plastic packaging is about to take effect. Starting July 1st, online retailers may no longer use PVC in their packaging. Not only that, a certain percentage of the package must be made of recycled materials. To enforce the rules, officials will conduct inspections of e-commerce shipments. They plan to first target large e-commerce businesses, defined as those with at least 150 million NT in capital or 500 pickup locations. Violators will face fines of up to 150,000 NT. She approaches the counter to collect a parcel ordered online. In the near future, such parcels will contain much less plastic than before. That's due to a new EPA policy requiring e-commerce retailers to use a certain percentage of recycled materials in their packaging. It's the latest step toward Taiwan's plastic reduction goals. 
On July 1st, we will launch our first phase of inspections. The main focus of our inspections will be large-scale operators. Large-scale operators refer to e-commerce operators with capital of 150 million NT or at least 500 stores. Under the new policy, online retailers won't be allowed to use polyvinyl chloride or PVC in their packaging. If they choose to use a different plastic, that plastic must contain more than 25% recycled materials. If they choose to use paper, at least 90% of it must be recycled paper. If an operator does not establish a self-management mechanism, we will target that operator for random inspections. Violators will be fined between 30,000 NT and 150,000 NT. But could using recycled paper drive up costs? Long fiber pulp, which is commonly used to make packaging paper, skyrocketed to 1,000 U.S. dollars per ton in 2022, but has since dropped to 930 U.S. dollars. Not only has the international pulp price fallen, the cost of recycled paper has also decreased. Since the start of the year, the price of waste paper or pulp has gone down significantly. For most end users of packaging materials, the cost pressure won't be as great. In fact, this could help them achieve a transition at this stage. According to the researcher, many businesses have already begun to plan for sustainable operations. Given the government's supporting policies and the relatively favorable business environment, extra costs won't be passed on to consumers over the short term, he said. Today, we meet a teacher and politician who is passionate about the welfare of Southeast Asian immigrants in Taiwan. Vietnamese-born Ban Meirong has lived in Taiwan for 23 years. She teaches Southeast Asian languages and cultures at Minth University of Science and Technology in Xinzhu County. She also runs a support group for female immigrants from Vietnam, helping younger women to find their own way in a new country. And as if that wasn't enough, she's one of the founding members of the Happy People Party, a groundbreaking political party founded by immigrants. We went to Shinzu to meet Fan and hear what makes her tick. Every Monday, Fan Mei Rung teaches Southeast Asian languages on the campus of Minsha University of Science and Technology. Today, she's brought along bamboo hats and is encouraging them to draw images of Vietnam on them. We come here with the status of friends to share with them. It gives me quite a sense of accomplishment. As a Vietnamese immigrant, Fun is well qualified to teach many different aspects of Vietnamese culture. She gives out spring roll wrappers recently brought home from a trip to Vietnam's Tainin province. I've brought back some local snacks so everyone can try them. It's crunchy and has a distinctive Vietnamese flavor. College students are often tapping on their phones in class nowadays. But as you can see, they don't do that in Ms. Phan's class. They're fascinated. Phan has impressive capacities in many different areas. When she first came to Taiwan more than 20 years ago, she experienced discrimination in the workplace, partly because of the language barrier. But she didn't get bitter. Instead, she doubled down on her efforts to learn Chinese, finding that positive thinking was her best friend in her challenging circumstances. 
Whenever we are carving out a life, we always need to understand the language. When we can do that, then we can protect ourselves so that we can live better and help others and give back to society. Fun founded a club for new female immigrants from Vietnam. It provides a place where women can ask for advice and a safe place they can rely on. And she's also the vice chair of the newly established Happy People Party, which exists to promote the participation of immigrants in all areas of life. But Fun says the most enjoyable part of her work is teaching. The interaction with students brings immense satisfaction as she watches them develop more and more interest and delight in Southeast Asian cultures. Have you ever thought about the difference between a dental surgery and other doctors' clinics? At most clinics in Taiwan, you can just walk in and sit down in the waiting room, joining the queue to see the doctor immediately. But dentists work differently. Most require you to book an appointment in advance, often by phone. Why is that? And if you have an urgent toothache, what's the right thing to do? Should you book an appointment for next week, or is it okay to walk into the nearest dental clinic and ask to be seen today? Well, we spoke to some of Taiwan's prominent dentists to get the lowdown on this sometimes mystifying system. When you need a dental issue fixed, you're meant to ring the clinic and book an appointment. Booking in advance is a standard procedure these days, as this member of the public explains. You know, if you have a real toothache, it can be quite inconvenient. Some people wonder why normal medical clinics let you simply rock up, take a number and wait your turn, while dental clinics want you to pre-book an appointment. It seems the two systems are dramatically different, but why? Dental treatment is usually one very small-scale operation. A complex treatment might take one or two hours, but the majority of treatments take 20 to 30 minutes. More and more clinics are adopting the procedure of first talking to the patient to find out what's wrong, and then arranging an appointment so they hopefully don't have to wait too long in the waiting room or impact other patients' rights. But if you have a toothache right now, do you still need to book in advance? Well, not necessarily. In genuinely exceptional circumstances, you may be allowed to skip the queue. Usually, that's when the decay has reached the dental nerve and the face is starting to swell. When you have cellulitis or something like that, then it's definitely reached the point of a dental emergency. Treating an acute toothache cannot be delayed. Alongside normal dental clinics, hospital ERs can also provide help in such cases. When there's really absolutely no other solution, you can go to a hospital emergency room. Yeah, the dentists have shifts. I used to be a hospital dentist. When you have a toothache, sometimes you really can take painkillers first. I think that dentists in every clinic are willing to treat a patient who is willing to wait in the waiting room. Dentists say that the main difficulty is a large number of regular hygiene treatments that they have booked most days. If you want to avoid getting the kind of toothache that requires emergency treatment and impacts other patients, by far, the best policy is to discover any dental issues early and get them treated as soon as possible. Taiwan's natural beauty is famous all around the world. In recent years, more and more ordinary people have got inspired to restore Taiwan's ecosystems after degradation. Today, we meet Wang Fenghua, a local of Smiali's San Yi Township. He's passionate about the wild lily, a native blossom also known as a Hong Kong lily. The beautiful white flower suffered in recent decades as farming chemicals poisoned the countryside. But 
Wang has devoted himself to planting lilies over many years, supporting the local ecosystem to heal itself. Let's see how his work turned out. Wang Fenghua walks us down a path he has known for decades. He grew up here in Miali Sanyi Township, leaving briefly for school before coming back home to Guandaoshan. But after his time away, he was shocked to find that local farmers' use of herbicides was having a devastating impact on the wild lilies that used to carpet the paths here. They're mowing the grass year after year, and some of the plants on the mountain have just disappeared. Inspired to bring back to life the lush mountain of his childhood, Wang threw himself into restoring the wild lily, becoming a staunch flower defender. It's just spending a little time on my own patch of land and tidying it up a bit. He doesn't sell the lilies or make any money from them. Instead, he pays from his own pocket to plant them. It took a while to get his wife on board with the project. I said, are you crazy? Everyone's trying to earn money. Why are you doing something with no value, no income source? There were just 30 lily plants here at the worst moment, but that's all changed. One year, Wang planted 10,000 lilies on the mountain. Another year, wild boar feasted on the flowers, causing havoc. But Wang is not to be dissuaded. They can only sprout their new stalks when you increase the water levels. Actually, it's obvious at a glance that there are plenty the boar haven't eaten right here. And the project has blossomed. The area that Wang cares for has seen the arrival of a small insect, the tea jacid. It's a good indicator of a healthy ecosystem unspoiled by herbicides. After all these years, Wang can say with confidence it was time well spent.